Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled uh, episode of that 4K podcast. This week we're going to talk about plan sponsors needing to seek out what I call the Retirement Plan Dentist podcast about an article uh, that I wrote many years ago when I first started out in my practice, and we'll talk about that and my tips on uh, oral hygiene and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, next thing's... Uh, on the agendas, of course, we talk about uh, shilling for my advance, that 401k site.com for further information. This episode drops on Friday, which means that's the day of the Las Vegas event. So if you're listening to it now and you want to sign up for Las Vegas, uh, sorry. Um, but of course, uh, for the Las Vegas area, we'll be next door. Uh, not next door, but we'll be in Arizona in April, Friday, April the 8th. Chase Field, Arizona Diamondbacks, Mets game that night. We'll talk about the guests soon. I thought I would be able to get guests down for Phoenix and Miami on June 24th at Lone Depot Park. Um, our My buddy, who works with another buddy in uh, selecting the um, players for these events, um, there was a big show, big baseball card show this weekend, and uh, it was a little bit crazy, so, you know, stuff, you know, just didn't happen. Uh, in terms of booking the guests, but we hopefully will book them soon, and then we'll see what we're going to happen with, uh, you know, the variant and other events. I have some ideas of what we will do. I think we're probably going to skip May, uh, maybe run two events in June. I want to get, uh, you know, we have June 24th, and maybe June the 3rd we'll run another event, uh, probably, hopefully local to the New York area. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, we got Charlotte in October, and uh, we're eventually... Uh, going to try to book events for September and November. Um, and, of course, go to that 4 for further information. And talking about uh, retirement plan dentists, uh, oral care is a big deal to me uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, but more than a dozen years ago, I think it's like almost 20 years ago, there was some sort of medical report that dental plaque could cause heart disease, and I thought it was some sort of dental conspiracy to increase revenue because uh, fluoridated water and other dental hygiene products have had um, have had to have a negative effect on the dentist's bottom line. That's how I just think. But then I have one child who I will not name. Uh, uh, well, I have two children. One has perfect uh, teeth uh, in terms of no cavities, whatnot, takes after me. And then I have another kid who takes after my wife, which is multiple cavities, root canals, all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know... There, there is the discussion that good oral health is important because many health problems are actually derived from poor oral hygiene. And one of the interesting things with me is I don't think I talked about it. Uh, I, I mean, I talk enough about myself uh, during these podcasts. But last February, um, I had surgery uh, to fix my nose. I had a deviated septum um, I had polyps, probably thanks to all the years of uh, allergies, and uh, doctor fixed my nose so I could actually breathe through my nose. I really could not breathe through my nose. I would breathe through my mouth, and the problem was I had sleep apnea, and I had sleep apnea. It turns out the reason I have sleep apnea is because I had an orthodontist, you know, my mother would take me to the most local doctor, regardless of whether they were good or not. And she took me to an orthodontist who didn't put a palate expander, so I had a crowded, overcrowded mouth. She removed four teeth uh, from me, 
And uh, even though at the time palate expanders were available, and uh, as a result, I have sleep apnea. Um, so thanks to the surgery, thanks to the mouthpiece, uh, I don't have that issue anymore. Uh, but, you know, sleep apnea is another thing that, you know, sleep apnea causes uh, dementia, uh, possibly, and, um, you know, uh, has a negative effect on the heart. And uh, a good friend of mine on Twitter, he's not a friend in real life, but somebody I interact with on Twitter, Jim Ross, uh, would get on my case that I would not use a CPAP machine. And, you know, even if I had the surgery on the nose, I knew I could never use a CPAP machine. So that's there. But dental care is a big to-do, in my opinion. I got one cavity in my life, and I'm still ticked off that I still had that one cavity. Um, as sometimes, you know, as an arrested attorney, I feel like I'm a retirement plan dentist. Um, the problem with me is usually they only call you when something goes terribly wrong. They don't, you know, plan sponsors don't deal with the preventative care as they should, as they should with a dentist. You know, um, I had a family member 30 years didn't go to a dentist and paid for it the hard way. Uh, I was the type of kid who would, you know, there were times when I was an adult and I didn't go to the dentist for three, four years and I'd never had an issue, but that's because uh, I'm not the, the big sugar type and I brush and whatever. Uh, seeking counsel from a risk attorney or even a TPA can be like seeking a dentist and avoiding green harm, and that's why I think that retirement plan sponsors should see, see, see the help of uh, a retirement plan dentist before having a, uh, what I would call a retirement plan root canal. Plant sponsors really should be proactive, and you know they're not. Uh, I always, when I first started my practice, I'm like, ah, I got this retirement plan tune-up. This is a plan legal review, 750 bucks. You can pay it from plan assets. And I want to say in about the you know 11, and now it's going to be 12 years that I started my own practice. This April will be 12 years, I think on April the 8th. Um, I could count on two hands how many plan sponsors paid for it. Um, the, fa the sad fact is for small, medium-sized plans, most of them neglect their duties as a plan fiduciary until something goes wrong. They are not proactive. They are reactive. And the problem with being reactive is that, you know, when you break something in your plan, uh, it's more expensive to fix than if you could foresee uh, it being broken. Uh, it's like insurance. Uh, insurance protects you against risk. Being proactive protects plan sponsors from greater harm. And the problem with plan problems comes a snowball effect where a small problem could you know, become greater and greater over time and over size. Um, you know, they're, uh, by being proactive, a plan sponsor could self-correct or go through the voluntary compliance program. If it's caught on an audit, it's caught by a new TPA years later, it could certainly be more expensive. We see that all the time on the ADP test. If there's a failure, you know what? We, we fix it. We give refunds to HCs. Maybe we do a QNAC. But we know that years later, we lose the opportunity to uh, give a refund to uh, plan participants. Uh, you know, uh, another example is the 5500s. We know that if a plan sponsor files a, uh, a DFBCP application with the Department of Labor, the Delinquent Filing uh, Voluntary Compliance Program, um, it goes a long way to avoiding the tens of thousands and sometimes $100,000 in penalties for late 5500s. Um, it's better to pay three grand and fix the problem than getting a letter that you owe, you know, 50 or 75 or $100,000.
the threats of harm are real. Uh, years ago, James Holland, again, I always tell the story, James Holland and I met over LinkedIn uh, right, pretty much right after I started my own practice. I remember where I was, where I was when I talked to him for the first time on the phone. Uh, you know, there, were, there was one guy that James and I would deal with in the LinkedIn groups when those were really, really active with uh, debates and whatnot. Somebody who was saying that, you know, People like James and I were selling fear because, uh, you know, uh, uh, we're selling, you know, useless legal and fiduciary services because no small plan sponsor, medium-sized plan sponsor uh, was going to get sued. But the threat was still there. The chance of, uh, you know, the, the chances of getting sued are, are, are limited. But the fact is, is that, you know, an, an audit by the IRS and DOL and or DOL could be more problematic for the plan sponsor than any litigation. And that threat is real. A DOL IRS audit, I've dealt with a lot of audits on small plans. The threat is grave. It can be grave if there's a serious plan uh, issue. You know, when I had a plan sponsor and they put all their money in with Bernie Madoff, you know, that was a problem. Uh, you know, uh, you, you go to school, um, you know, I went to Boston University Tax LLM program. You know, you're given a book about ERISA. You know, that, that, that book doesn't talk to you about what happens when things go tragically wrong. And, and, you know, what do you do when the fine benefit plans have all their assets with a, with a, a, a Bernie Madoff situation? Um, you know, again, uh, the threat is real from an audit. Uh, mistakes happening in plans. Uh, again, uh, you know, I, I still to this day believe that a 401k plan even on a small plan, they could be the um, they could be used by aggrieved former employees for their own benefit. Uh, I had a family member who was terminated because of COVID, uh, and uh, they were paid out almost their entire account balance and paid to an IRA. And then, after the end of the plan year, the employer put in a uh, profit sharing contribution, and instead of paying that participant out, my relative. Uh, they put the money in with a IRA provider, you know, lost or missing participants, and uh, they charged that employee thirty bucks. That I'm sorry, that former employee thirty bucks, my relative, and of course the uh, you know when you're an attorney, uh, relatives like uh, free help, and so I helped this relative out and filed a DOL complaint. Uh, over thirty dollars, it really was over thirty dollars. And, you know, ultimately the plan sponsor wasn't penalized, but I assure you that that plan sponsor is now on the uh, ticker for the DOL of plans to audit down the line. Over 30 bucks. So, you know, El my buddy Elmer on LinkedIn, when he used to fight with us, you know, those situations are real. Uh, they do happen and, you know, you're not going to get sued over a $30 fee, but somebody can go to the DOL and complain about you. And, you know, with the Madoff situation and the other catastrophic plan error where I had a plan sponsor that was through, sued for three million bucks by the DOL for embezzlement, of course, of which I told the plan sponsor to settle, but their litigator uh, said no, wanted their fees and litigated for like another two or three years. And again, that plan sponsor had to fork over the three million bucks. But the point is, is that, you know, uh, these catastrophic errors, these catastrophic audits were as a result of a former participant who complained that they didn't receive a benefit. So the Madoff situation and this 
embezzling situation, which again, it wasn't embezzling, but uh, there were no records to show, uh, convince the DOL the otherwise. So, I, you know, again, I think that that's, that's certainly an issue. Um, and, 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 you know, it, the threat is real. Next, you know, obviously it's important to review plan terms. Um, you know, that's how I see it. Um, too many times the plan documents say one thing, plan is administered a different way. We see that all the time with um, definition compensation. We see that a lot of times with eligibility. And uh, a plan sponsor has to uh, utilize the plan according to its terms. It's a written plan document and they got to follow it. So it's important that, you know, a good review by a retirement plan dentist, whether it's, you know, a risk attorney or independent retirement plan consultant, um, you know, the, the terms are reflected, you know, the plan is administrated according to its terms. And next, I think it's important for the plan sponsor to review the plan type and the contributions. Again, this Madoff situation, uh, that plan sponsor should have gotten rid of that DB plan in Institute of 401k years ago. You know, that DB plan was great when there were like four or five employees. It wasn't so great for them when there were like a dozen. So they eventually got rid of the DB plan after we fixed the mess and we instituted a 401k plan, which uh, reminds me i got to send them out a retainer letter for a restatement. While some plans, you know, I, I think it's important, you know, plan documents aren't written like the Ten Commandments. They're not written in stone. Um, they need to change sometimes to reflect what's going on with the employer. Um, you know, a, a new comparability allocation may make sense now, now that they're employees and whatnot and... I think it's important for plan sponsors to see whether um, whether uh, you know uh, that DB plan still works, whether uh, a new comp plan still works. Uh, you know, it, it's so many different things, and uh, I, I have to say that if uh, you know a 401k plan provide a 401k plan sponsor can afford a safe harbor contribution, maybe that's an opportunity. I mean, I had that situation where TPA would let the plan sponsor fail miserably, uh, ADP test for years and years and years, and never bothered to explain to them, hey, by the way, you could avoid that by putting in a safe harbor contribution, and you know, you only have to put in X dollars to avoid uh, a refund of, of a greater amount. So, uh, you know, it's always good to refresh, and again, a retirement plan dentist doing a plan review can certainly go a long way to identifying situations like that. Next, uh, reviewing plan administration. Um, I think that it's important to look at what uh, record keepers and plan administrators are doing. Um, they, you know, uh, somebody that's ineffective can certainly expose the plan sponsor to potential liability from the IRS, the DOL, and plan participants. Um, a review of the TPA's work by an independent party can certainly root out errors that typically are only discovered years later when there is like a change of TPAs. Um, years ago, I, I was at a law firm. Uh, I think I've discussed this. Uh, we had a union that uh, spun off from another union. The main union uh, was Safe Harbor Plan by uh, one of the... Uh, really good fund companies. Uh, the problem was the plan was spun off. The spinoff didn't have a safe harbor, even though the uh, plan document called for it. 
or actually did call for it. It was, it was something along the lines where the plan wasn't really a safe harbor plan, but the payroll, I'm sorry, the mutual fund company was treating it as such. Uh, so, you know, I, we had to self-correct, do the testing to see if it did fail and whatnot. And of course, uh, the mutual fund company says, well, you got to take this to this TPA that we work at and you got to, you know, uh, pay for testing because we didn't charge you for testing because we assumed the plane was safe harbor. So that's a, that, that was a hot mess. Um, you know, it, it, it's a problem. Actually, I think the plane document didn't have the safe harbor language in there. So we were looking for the testing and there was no testing to be had. And I think I discovered the error because I realized that the previous plan had the safe harbor contribution. It's important um, for the plan sponsor to review the fiduciary process um, again, a, a retirement plan dentist can do that. Again, I do that retirement plan tune-up for 750 years ago. I want to say 10 years ago, uh, I worked on a plan, a medical practice group uh, out in PA, 14 million bucks. The broker was making 60 basis points. The One of the doctors in the practice assumed that the uh, the broker was juiced in by one of the other doctors and they never saw the broker and there was no investment policy statement and there was no education to plan participants. And needless to say, I told them, you are paying this broker $84,000. There are 53 mutual funds offered under the plan. You got a problem. And so what did they do? They fired the broker, hired a 338, and then all of a sudden was only paying 25 basis points. So they were saving a ton of money and getting the help that they need. And that's why it's important. You know, I always bring up the time, you know, with my old law firm and, and how they didn't have an advisor until I told them to get one. And of course they didn't hire the one I recommended, but that's life. Um, you know, it's important to, you know, look at the fiduciary processes to see if there are any issues uh, like that. Last but not least, obviously plan costs. Uh, Plan sponsors are fiduciaries, and they have fiduciary duty in only paying recent plan expenses. And this was, you know, difficult in a time when, you know, pre-free disclosure, uh, you had no idea. Plan sponsor had absolutely no idea how much they paid. So, uh, thanks, you know, thankfully, you know, plan sponsors now know that they only have, you know, they now know how much they're being charged. But uh, a lot of them just take those fee disclosure forms, put them in the drawer, throw them in the garbage, like those privacy statements that my bank sends me. And uh, that's a problem. Uh, we see that with litigation. We see that with DOL audits when they do ask the plan sponsor, hey, uh, uh, how do you review your plan providers? If you check the cost and they say, uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. You know, they do the uh, old... Uh, pathological liar bit from SNL, John Lovitz did. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, that's, you know, that's a problem. So it's uh, it's important for plan sponsors to identify the costs in the plan. Uh, there are still some plan providers out there that are not fully transparent. That's always an issue. Uh, but, you know, I think the most important thing the plan sponsor do is to review uh, what's going on, the costs in the plan, you know, and doing something about it. And uh, the way to do it about it uh, is not focus on, on picking a provider with the cheapest plan costs, but, you know, shopping the plan around to other plan providers or using some sort of benchmarking service to benchmark fees and see what the cost would be for similar services. I mean, you know, if 
if a plan sponsor is getting white glove treatment from a TPA, they can't go to a no frills TPA and make a, a fair comparison. You're obviously going to pay more to get more. Um, so it's important for a plan sponsor to do that. And a good, um, you know, retirement plan dentist could put a plan sponsor on a great path. But, you know, obviously that's really up to the plan sponsor to be proactive rather than reactive. And, uh, you know, that's that. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of that 4K podcast. And again, when this drops, I'll be in hopefully sunny Las Vegas. We'll see what happens for that 4K conference. And of course, go to that 4KSAC.com for further information on all our events, including that 4K conference in Phoenix, in um, Miami, and of course, that 4K virtual conference, which is actually next week, which I should have done at the beginning of the broadcast. But for $20.22, you can be part of a two day event. Four and a half, five hours each day and enjoy it and uh, learn a few things and whatnot. So hope you enjoy this episode of that 401k uh, podcast and, and tune in next week for another fun-filled edition. Thank you. Bye.